Hi, I'm Luke from the Dirty Nail, and you're listening to the Miserable Failure Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Miserable Failure Podcast, episode 68. I got Luke Bentham on this one, and he was on the very first episode of the podcast, and uh, I have to say, I'm going to talk really low. I recorded this episode the day their album came out, which was months ago. I know it's been a long time. But it's still very relevant. There's a lot of stuff we talk about. We talk about their new album, Free Reign to Passions. We talk about their new bass player, Sam, who is very fucking kick-ass. We talk about um, them managing themselves because they didn't have a manager. We talk about the music industry. Uh, Luke gives us lots of great advice about being in a band. So we're going to get into that right now but i'm gonna play a song what song am i gonna play what do you think i'm gonna play the first single off the album celebration dirty nil You are here again on the podcast. I got to say, first things first, 
you are the first uh, person I had on my podcast. You were the first episode, and you are the first return. So that's two firsts Amazing. for you. I, well, I'm happy to be a part of the the uh, the miserable failure failure podcast history that way. Yeah, thank you, thank you. I, I don't know what to say. It, 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 maybe there's a some kind of sticker or something in the mail for you that says uh, maybe. Yeah. I, I or maybe I should do like a like a kind of like the SNL like a like the jacket after you do like five, yeah. Or, I think it's a jacket or is that golf? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But I'll I'll await my uh, my return guest scented candle in the mail. <laughs> Luke Bentham Hamilton. It'll it'll get to you. You have a brand new album out called Free Reign to Passions. Uh, can you tell us? I guess. You've probably been talking a lot about this album. Uh, congratulations, first. First of all, Thank congratulations you. on the new album. A lot has happened between Fuck Art and this album. Can you tell us, first of all, how does it feel to have a new record out? I mean, it's uh, it's one of the better feelings in the world, you know, get putting out a, putting out a record with your buds. And um, I'm just, it's it's just a great day. Today's the day, and... I celebrated by cutting my lawn a bit and I only did the back because I'm lazy. Um, and, uh, and, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm really, really happy, man. It's, it's, um, I'm really proud of the songs and I think we recorded them really well and, and, and nasty and I'm just super happy. Uber happy. Very good. So uh, I guess there's 10 tracks. It's, I think it's 30, 32 minutes, which is, is uh pretty much the norm for you guys you try and get those 10 tracks in i'd say uh, so you, you usually record more songs how many how many did you, did you record for this album going in did you have any extra cuz like bye bye big bear is not even on the album yes so we, i think we recorded about 14 songs this time yeah which is you know the most we've ever done is about 12 so yeah it's a couple more than we usually do but um we had a lot of material so uh we banged it out. I will say though that um I probably wouldn't do 14 songs again because like it just becomes exhausting in a certain way like when you're trying to have some kind of attention to detail but I think that it kind of helped things because we didn't have time to overthink anything. It was like okay, well that one's done. And then move on to this one like so you know, I'm a, I'm a big uh believer in not overthinking rock and roll, so it definitely assisted that uh having quite a bit to record. Yeah, I'm. You know, I'm. I'm. I'm like that with art. Like, I feel like is the the moment you start overthinking art, and it doesn't come from a place where it just kind of happens. That's when it gets like complicated, and it starts. It starts just like not being. For me, it's like not as fun, or it's just it doesn't feel as real. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. No. Totally. I think that. Um... It's very easy to overcook things in a rock band, and like over uh you know over over fine tune the, the arrangements and like you know get super granular and lost in the weeds on little things but all of the records that we love like are were made with caution thrown to the wind and and they just let it fly and so i mean we we try and do that you didn't have a label you didn't have management right so it was kind of like the the three of you or even just the two of you i don't know how how that worked that kind of made this whole like recording process happen because on the album on uh from what i read it's uh you and kyle have the writing credits for the entire album you're like the the lars and uh and headfield uh, like headfield duo well we are the kind of Lar we are the lars and headfield of dundas <laughs> i think i feel very confident <laughs> to say um but yeah i mean when we when we made it we we at that point had sam in the picture but we basically had most of the songs kind of already written and he just he, he we we jammed them so that we could kind of come up with arrangements together but um yeah i mean i wrote a lot of the songs just during the during the pandemic with my old interface i hadn't used it since i was about 16 years old and we were all locked down so I um instead of just saying well we'll start working when we see each other though that my my way of kind of maintaining sanity and some sense of forward momentum was to just make some horrible horrible demos intentionally as horrible as possible on my uh, on my mac um using lots of uh, flange guitar and distorted vocals and hip-hop drums um and so <clears throat> by the time it got to time by the time it 
uh, we were able to get together. There was lots of material to work on. And uh, I was basically writing songs right up until the day we entered the studio. I think I wrote The Light, The Void and everything right before, like the day before uh, John got here. So you're you're kind of in that state of mind where things were just flowing and the songs were just popping out of you. Yeah, I mean, I um, I, I have to say that I never I've never experienced any kind of lasting period of of like being super prolific and like it's just like I got to get it out. It's it's always kind of been a bit of a like a trade to me or a bit of like a okay, well I have to sit down and actually do this thing. Um, but that being said, like when my favorite kind of like mode that I can get into is where I can get an entire song out in one sitting. And that's always the best. Like when you're not kind of like, well, I've got this fragment of a thing that, you know, later we'll try and, you know, work on then. And then as, as you kind of mentioned, it, it gets a bit more complicated and you can get bogged down. But if you can, if you can get something down fully, at least like beginning, middle, and then all the lyrics, all the melodies, then it's just, it's that's that's when I really have a feeling of accomplishment and and like damn this feels really good and a uh, few of those so few of these songs were like that I mean celebration was more of like a jam that I just kind of wrote lyrics to once we had to demo it uh, nicer guy I think was the first one that I wrote in GarageBand or like at least part of it it all got you know completely rejigged around when we actually started jamming it but. Um, yeah, no, this one had a, a pretty varied writing process than uh, much more varied than we usually do, which is, you know, usually it's just kind of like, you know, get in the room, start banging around, then I'll take it, take it back and work on my bits and then, you know, bring more to work on. But um, this time uh, we started with a lot more kind of like this song's pretty much done and we can, I mean, it's, we can, we're going to mess with it and change it around stuff, but it's not like as much of a blank canvas. Um, because, you know, it was, as I said, like my, my pandemic or a lot of it was just writing songs. And I, um, I really, I really, I think had a, I, I got really down like everybody did during all those lockdowns, but it was nice to have something to really focus on and, uh, sitting right here at this desk and blasting away in my sweatpants was uh, was my <laughs> way of doing it. Yeah, we're, I feel like after like the pandi pandemic kind of ended and people were allowed to go, out, it's like putting jeans on was like the worst feeling on the goddamn planet. I hated it. I was like, God, I got to put jeans on. They're not going to fit me. I just want to yeah. wear sweatpants everywhere now. It's been too long. So, are you the you're you're the type of musician songwriter that has to sit and kind of work something out and then be like oh that's a cool riff and then write lyrics to it or are are you the type of songwriter that a melody will just pop in your head while you're at the grocery store or something like that i'm definitely like uh i'm definitely more the first category i'm like uh the way i see it is like it's kind of like if you have a big slab of 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 um plaster and you kind of like you don't know really what you're going to make but you stand back and you do a carve and you stand back and you do a carve based on that first carve and you just you know you keep going until you you an internal voice says it's done um you know that being said like there's some songs where i'm basically tinkering with lyrics still in the vocal booth um but um you know, we generally cheat, treat the studio as like a place where we execute and record. And it's not much of like, a OK, well, let's, you know, we'll finish the songs when we get there and have somebody oh, no. help us finish all the songs. Like, we're just not really like that. We're pretty utilitarian with the studio. I mean, we do, you know, have fun and, you know, bring out all the toys that they have there and see if any of them will work or if we uh, if we're digging how they add to the sound. But you know, we we blast away in our jam space like two or three times a week, every week, and are always working on arrangements and covers and everything. So we 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 do the kind of the heavy lifting in our horrible concrete bunker of a jam space. Yeah, yeah. You guys have a lot of covers that you you kind of record. I was looking at the seven inch for Celebration and the seven inch for Nicer Guy, and you guys have a couple covers on those as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I forget which ones they were. Can you remind me? I think one of them is Hot Chocolate, like a disco cover. Uh, uh, 
Um, everyone's a winner. And I think one of them is Deuce by Kiss, maybe, or maybe that's on the blowing up things in the woods one. That wasn't uh, that wasn't one I remember. I remember that one. Um, Riff Raff by ACDC. Yes, it was Riff Raff. That's it. Yeah, there you go. Cool. Those were all recorded with John. The the covers were all recorded with our friend Vince Solivari here in Hamilton. And so, kind of typically, the way we do things is like we get once we get you know, minimum four songs together that we can basically play confidently, like, you know, through um, beginning, middle, and an end. Once we get at least four of them together, then we'll probably get like three or four covers and we'll go demo the new songs. And in tandem with that, we'll record the covers um, as a way of like, you know, making the most out of one day of recording and also just, you know, always we're always trying to stockpile that stuff because you never know when you're going to need it. And, you know, we're just we're raised on rock and roll. We love playing songs and figuring them out and and making what making making sense of how arrangements work and, you know, straight up just stealing new moves from people. So uh, we're we're always recording covers, especially when we're demoing. <laughs> it's more of like a, a subconscious kind of curiosity that I enjoy. Like I don't, I don't usually, I don't go in and say, well, I need to learn this so that I can learn how, what I can steal from it. Like, I think that just naturally happens from learning a bunch of other people's songs. And you just kind of, you automate, you suddenly, when you sit down to do something, you have a couple new 
colors on your painting easel that you didn't really know were there because you've stolen them, but um, <laughs> you've absorbed them. You didn't steal them. You absorbed, you absorbed them. them. Yes. It's all theft at the end of the day anyways, but um, everything is a remix. So that's, yeah. that's the, yeah. I, I would say that like the one kind of unfortunate byproduct of doing all the covers is that sometimes it gives me a hard time listening to the original again. Cause I'm like, I don't know why. I don't know why. It's it's kind of like, well, like I've already kind of like fully explored this song and and but that I mean that the positive side of that is it opens me up to tons of new music. I'm always looking for new things that to turn me on like every music listener. So that kind of happens to me as well when when I'm editing like a Mikey Nizuke video because I'm editing this cover of like a classic song and I'm listening to it over and over and over and over again for hours upon hours is like I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Melancholin, but I can't listen to No Cigar anymore. I can't do go. it. It's just, right. I can't, it's just, I can't do it. When you have to like really get into a song that's, that's like, you know, you almost have to map it out like a conspiracy theorist because it's so complicated and defies your own kind of natural musical instincts. Like it makes it a little harder to listen to when you've really, really broken it down for yourself. I, I find at least sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. do you find more important to specifically your songs 30 nil songs is it the lyrics or the music what like what comes first for you i think the music is always kind of like the the guiding thing because that's the thing that's that's the engine for us that's like the that's that's the thing that makes us excited and you know i try and i usually like when we'll start working on when we're really kind of 
deep into songs like i'll have most of the lyrics worked out and then by the time we have to we set a demo date and then that gives me like the necessary fire under my ass to to finish things up or at least get something in these blank spaces um and that's kind of when you know once we've kind of finished that first revision and the lyric kyle hears the lyrics sometimes like his drumming changes because he wants to support that a bit more Sometimes things kind of start with more of like a vocal idea and that becomes the kind of guiding kind of force of the song. But the music side, I find much easier than I find writing lyrics. I find writing lyrics is a lot more subject to like revision. And uh, for myself, at least I'm always kind of trying to punch things up and edit them. Um, I think it just kind of comes naturally from going to school, like going to university and having to write a lot of papers. Like I was always, I always was kind of it drilled into my mind that it wasn't necessarily the best papers that I wrote with the best points, but like the flow of everything would get me a better grade. And I think that that has left a mark in my kind of mind and across any type of writing that I attempt to do. And so I'm, I'm particularly with lyrics. I think I'm always trying to have a, have a tight narrative. If, if, if there's some kind of story in the song or, or some kind of, I'm, 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 I'm not, I'm not really partial to the abstract in writing lyrics. I'm, I'm trying, I'm, I think I'm more of like a, drive the point home type of guy never never was one for subtlety yeah just kind of here it is oh, oh would you say that uh i had this like epiphany i was like i'm gonna ask him this question uh doom boy nicer guy uh the guy from bathe in light and you know the guy from uh wrestle you to husker do is that this kind of the same one guy in your head that you're singing about or is it like different people i guess it's just me at different times in my life like basically or like or or parts of me at different times of my life like um all of the kind of like funny or like attempted you know uh, uh, my attempts at humor i think are all coming from some place of like of like truth within myself at least in terms of my own feelings about things um but my my feelings change and 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 um yeah no i think they're all just kind of the the they're just bits of bits of us that we kind of you know exaggerate and put onto you know to paint onto large larger canvases with but um yeah they're all just the hellraisers from dundas you know all those guys <laughs> the guys who are blowing blowing shit up in the woods blowing things up in the woods i guess yeah yeah, there's definitely the new album is heavier. I would say there's a lot, lot more. Well, you scream, you scream, and all, all you scream in all the albums, but there's a lot more. I don't know. It's just, it's just, it's a more aggressive. I guess that's the word. Maybe not heavier, but angrier, aggressive. And when you're playing a riff like Celebration, dun, 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 how hard is it? How hard is it for for Kyle not to be like? Uh, maybe I need a double kick for this song or, you know, it, like let's, let's up this, the, up the ante, you know, and play like a little that, like, is that something that he's ever like suggested? I think it's definitely like the, definitely the latter, but I think all of the, so somebody who called us bubblegum thrash. And I think that's a pretty good <laughs> term for what we do. Like we, we know, we know that we're, we're a couple uh, well, you know, we're we're three soft serve ice cream cones from Dundas, Ontario, Canada. We're not like, we're not, we're not, you know, uh, we're not neurosis or or venom or, you know, we know that everything that we have, uh, every every time we kind of reach into the darkness, that we're still doing it with with it with a teaspoon of sugar. So, um, <laughs> and we're and that kind of makes us laugh a little bit, and so that's. You know, when we do kind of try and pull off the more menacing things or lean into that territory, we're always doing it with a grin because we realize that it's just like, as I said, we're we're three soft serve ice creams from Dundas, Ontario. You know, trying to trying to pose as as uh, as thrashers, but you know, we still are kind of thrashers, but we're uh, as I said, with a with a teaspoon of sugar. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned neurosis, though, because I know that Kyle, like, he loves like that kind of stoner 
doom metal stuff right kyle loves that stuff too and he shows me he shows me a lot of it i'm i'm my taste lean towards more like john prine and stuff and um i like a lot of thrash but kyle's definitely further down the into the metal train so sometimes like you know when i brought in that riff like part of it was just like i know it's gonna make kyle happy this fucking riff and it did <laughs> that's funny and then you guys end the song, you know, just well, you know, when it, you know, I, I guess I'm p- peeling back a little bit on my earlier statement about ripping people off because like sometimes we very consciously rip things off. And that song, I distinctly remember like on the intro, we were like, well, let's do what Ted Nugent does in Stranglehold, like where they kind of like how they bring the they start with the guitar and then they bring in the drums and the bass in this kind of build up way. So I remember referencing that. And then for the end, we were like, let's do, let's do uh what they do at the very end of Mouth Breather by Jesus is like, Kyle, you have the stage, go ahead. And then I remember <laughs> in the middle, we were actually trying to rip off this this song that John Goodmanson also recorded called uh Um Set Face to the Fire on Fire by uh Blood Brothers. Um, and that I mean, if you want to hear like just an insane groove, like one of the craziest grooves you'll ever hear, listen to that song by the Blood Brothers. We tried to kind of you know rip that off a little bit for the bridge, but um, and did he know? I, I, I don't think he noticed it, but I mentioned I was just like, you know, are you know what we're ripping off here? And he's just like, ah, that makes sense, that makes sense. Um, but um, yeah, no, that you know, that being said, like. What what excites us when we're kind of arranging songs and getting them together is being like, you know, what about that one song from like, you know, 1963? Like, you know, they do that like thing there. Like, let's do that. But like, you know, that we we just love we love throwing all of our, you know, our catalog of music at our our own music. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I mean, you're fans of rock and roll. We're fans of theft too, yeah. The things of oh, no, you're absorb. You're not theft. You're not thieving anything. You're absorbing it, absorbing it. And exactly. speaking of John, he's uh, he's now produced three of your records. I have his selected discography here on his Wikipedia, and he's done some shit. Yeah, he's been around. Notable ones: uh, Wu Tang Clan. Yep. Iron Iron Flag. He did yep. uh, Train. Uh, Soundgarden Spoonman remixes. He's a uh, he's really big into mixing as well, right? Simple yeah, Plan, Subultura, uh, Hanson. Yeah, he's done all the he's done like all the Harvey Danger albums. Yep. Um, Hot Hot Heat, Aiden Bikini Kill. I'm sure there's many Death Cab for Cutie. I'm sure there's many more that I'm forgetting. But how did you how did you get how did you stumble upon him, how did you get John involved with the band? So when we made Higher Power, we had recorded it with our friends. And basically, like, the tracks were, it had become basically like a mess. And we were like, okay, well, we need somebody to save this. And John was a name that our friend Shazad threw to us. He's like, what about this John Goodmanson guy? He made all these records by Unwound. And, you know, he's made some much more kind of hi-fi stuff, too. So we talked to John. I talked to him on the phone. And we sent him the tracks and he basically like was able to salvage this murky like sludge of, uh, <laughs> of music and, and make a record out of it. Did he so, add, I think we talked about this before, but did he add more feedback to the guitar or did he take some of the feedback out of the guitar on that album? I think he probably added some, like there was tons of, as you may imagine, if anybody has ever heard higher power, there's a lot of guitar feedback on it. There was a lot of guitar tracks recorded. You know, we just like, we did so much recording on that album that like we, we we basically needed a professional to kind of take over and just like figure it out. Um, and so John basically stepped in and he turned around a first mix of No Weaknesses and we're like, okay, he's the guy, clearly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And I feel like the, the, the feedbacky part is like kind of the first thing that actually dra- like kind of like grabbed my attention to Dirty Nil when I first heard like all the the feedback. I'm like, what is this? This is cool. And then I got into the album. I was like, this is sick. And then I saw you live. I don't remember where the hell I saw you guys play. And you were like purposely turning your rat pedal off. I and mean, I was like, afterwards I came up to you. I'm like, hey man, 
you got to leave that rap pedal on for that feedback. And you're like, nah. And you just kind of laughed and walked away. I was like, God damn it. Yeah. It's funny. Like, I mean, I used to just love like the screaming atonal feedback. I still do. But like, I also, I, uh, I think part of it for me is that like, I, my, as a guitar player, my pedal board is like very simple. It's like a tuner and then two rat pedals. And <laughs> so I only really ever hit that other one, like the second rat on and off. And so it's kind of like, I don't even think, and I, and I start turning it off on and off. Like I, I, I didn't even realize I was doing it until you probably brought it up. That was, <laughs> I guess a sensibility change had occurred in me during the, the touring of it. Yeah, that was, it was a, probably 2015 okay yeah I, I don't remember exactly where did uh did john mix the album as well this album he did yeah he is he's so he mixed higher power and then he has produced engineered and mixed all the three subsequent ones okay so there's definitely it's crazy like you the same the same producer same band you know recording songs over six years or whatever and and there's still there is differences that you can hear like you're you're obviously growing there's a lot more acoustic guitar presence on fuck art yes obviously i'm, I'm sure you recorded i know you re, i know you recorded acoustic guitar and there's you can hear it in the soft parts but did you do it again on on the electric parts too um it was it kind of kind of both but um you know i think my favorite thing in the world is recording guitars so i'll just keep recording guitars until somebody's like okay that's enough fucking guitars so like that was definitely in that you know i i usually have it mostly kind of planned out like in a notebook of like well this song always this guitar and like track this parts here and i want these parts on this uh you know i i really do tr think about that stuff a lot and so um yeah i think you know same thing with you know with with fuck art i only had a chance to do each song kind of once through on the or twice through i guess on the electric guitar and then record a couple acoustic tracks on top uh because everything shut down because it was right in that kind of march 2020 zone um but this time we had a little bit more time to kind of mess around with stuff so um yeah we were just kind of trying things out a lot of stuff didn't work but some cool stuff did work one of the coolest things that john did was um we uh on the intro of blowing up things in the woods there's like a feedback track for the guitar and uh what he did was he used this like AB splitter. So I had like my big Marshall rig being recorded out in the live room, but in the control room, he routed it so that there was this tiny like 1950s Fender champ, like single speaker, one knob amp. And I had this uh, Les Paul with a Bigsby that I was borrowing. And he basically had it so that um, this amp would would be a monitor and point at me while I was playing. And so I could kind of get feedback off it, but it was record it wasn't recording that amp. It was recording the sound that was coming through the big amp. You know, that's a very convoluted way of explaining it, but I've never tried that before. And it was super effective. It was way more effective than if I went and stood in that room, that insanely loud amp and tried to do it. Isn't it so cool when you get when you have time in the studio that you can try those different things and you're just like you're so excited because you're like I've never done this before and it and it just works out. It is the best. When you uh try some new things it actually works. Speaking of which, I have to give a mad shout out to Sam. He did I didn't even know he could play piano until we got to the studio. And all the piano stuff Sam did and Wade from Alexa on Fire had left his Moog synth there. And Sam plugged that in. And on day one, it was just like fart sounds, fart sounds, fart sounds. We're all laughing. And then by like day five, he was like patching things in and finding all these crazy sounds. So like anytime you hear anything ethereal on the record, it's Sam playing a, a Moog that he basically like had never played in his life and was like fairly competent with it by the time we wow. left. Yeah, because you can hear it. You can kind of hear it at the end of celebration, on the build up. There's definitely like a. Uh, it sounds like an Iggy Pop, like a, the just a one note going bling 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 bling. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Adam, uh, Adamize me for yeah. sure. You yeah. have the the soft intro, and then just like the the 
I think it's like a, a C sharp minor punch in the face with a guitar, just like. Prah! Yes, that is exactly the note too. Yeah. Yes. No, uh, yeah. So I recorded my guitar clean, like for that intro, and then Sam basically like did my melody with with the Moog, and the Moog sounds just so cool. Like, um, but yeah, we had a great time with all that stuff. Sam uh, is an amazing musician. He can play any. He puts his hands on. Well, I, I got to see him live like a week ago, and I, I saw him before, but right, his vocals sounded amazing. His screams were so good, and I'm assuming he's on the album screaming too, yes. right? Yes, oh yeah, his uh, all the big screams are his, and he can... I mean, one of the most interesting things about Sam joining the band is his ability, his harmony ability, and like... You know, every, we've had the privilege of playing with some incredible people like Ross and, and, and Dave and... Um, you know, everybody's kind of had their own gifts that they've contributed towards the music um, that have, you know, changed the band while they were in the band. And and we've kind of like continued certain things that that they contributed. But Sam's kind of special weapon is that he's a fucking hell of a singer, like um, no knock on anybody else that has sung uh, alongside me in the nil. But but Sam can can. Sam could put a harmony on 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 anything like uh, and so um, it blew my mind that he, basically before he started playing with us, I think he had only ever played 11 shows in his life ever. Wow. Because um, wow. he's very competent. And uh, and as I said, he can pretty much play anything you put his hands on. Like I remember like bringing in. I remember recording light the void and everything on guitar and like he could only have seen me play it like three times probably and then i remember listening to him he picked up a guitar at the back of the room and figured it out and played the whole thing too and i was just like god damn the guy's good um that's a good it's a good weapon to have in your back pocket yeah he's uh he can play anything so that's uh that that does really help and uh obviously i hope that this doesn't happen but if you're on tour and your voice kind of like you have one of those days where your voice isn't doing so well Hey Sam, I need you to sing these big parts here where it's screaming. Yeah. Honestly, if he just wants to sing all the songs, I'm game. I'll just play guitar. <laughs> no way. Uh, you love to croon. Come on. Let's yeah, be I real. I do like the crooning. I do like the crooning. I do uh I do love the microphone. I used to when we started the band, I I was I was afraid of that thing like like you couldn't believe. And it wasn't until I was probably like in my mid twenties where I kind of started to develop at least some kind of relationship with it um that wasn't that wasn't completely antagonistic um uh, but yeah no i love it now i love singing it's, it's a lot of fun but nothing beats playing guitar period getting ready your man management um and kind of like just being three guys on your own was that scary at all because you had to now like learn logistics and and do all the administration and and do all the things that you don't want to do because you just want to, like you said, just play guitar. It was scary at the beginning. Um, but you know, we basically, it was also like incredibly informative and extremely valuable to us because like, basically we started working with our old management when we were like, I think we had just turned 24 and then we parted ways with them when we were like 31. So in that time we had gone from being like, you know, a band that didn't even have full full length album out to like having a, a successful business that we didn't really fully understand. And did you know? And yeah, well, my mom stole it, so I, I don't even consider <laughs> myself having won one. Um, but yeah, so I mean, like we, the way that our old management style kind of worked was like, you know, like we we're responsible for the, for the music and obviously all the creative aspects of playing and and social media and stuff, but our old management kind of handled you know all the nego negotiations and you know the more kind of business side of things and so when we got out of that relationship we had to play like really fast catch up with how our business worked and understanding like um everything and that was extremely painful and extreme like unbelievably valuable obviously like we learned how everything works we learned what our strengths are what our weaknesses are and and it really informed what we wanted to do like we didn't want when we finally did come around to looking for a new record deal we decided like well we don't want to spend like 
250 grand per album on radio promotion in America. Like we don't, we just don't want to do that anymore because um, I consider that to be a mugs game. If you sound like the nil, like if you sound like imagine dragons, fill your boots, mate, go ahead, see what else is happening on rock radio down there. Um, but like, we didn't want to, we didn't want to spend that kind of money anymore. We, we wanted to basically, you know, take that money and like do fun stuff with it. And, you know, and not pursue this kind of like a kind of, a, I guess I would say a typical path towards growth. We wanted to do it our way. And so understanding how all this stuff worked and learning how our business worked um, forever changed us for the positive. Once you figure it out and you're like, oh, that's how it works. It, it just opens up so much more. There's so much more things you can do. And like you said, throwing hundreds of thousand dollars into radio in the states it just seems pointless when you can when you can go to europe and the bands in europe get treated like rock stars it's a wonderful place to be yeah it's it's it is and it's like you don't why pour all that money into radio like you said if you're not imagine dragon if you're not green day if you're not taylor swift they're not even going to look at your album no and i mean i remember like in our period like in between management like I, I had a conversation with Weezer and Green Day's manager, um, very, very nice guy named Jonathan. And he was asking me, he, he had heard fuck art and that's how we got in contact. And, you know, he was just kind of just, you know, giving, offering advice. And I told him, you know, with our last single, like Blunt Force Concussion, we went like top 30. And I was really proud of that. I still am. But he basically said, well, not to be dismissive, but it, it radio doesn't matter at all unless you go top three, period. It's just like it doesn't matter who you are. It just doesn't matter if you go unless you go top three. That was his perspective. Again, he's working with like Green Day and and Weezer and Fallout Boy and stuff. But, you know, that alone kind of, I think, confirmed some suspicions that I had about the whole thing where, you know, it was great that we were getting these numbers and stuff, but the investment required to achieve these numbers, I think far outweighed the actual returns and also like the positions that it puts you in as a band of having to kiss certain hands and shake certain babies. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not really what you want to do. And like, obviously I think there's some, some politicking invo involved in any kind of in any, you know, as any band, you know, you have, there's some that, just comes with the territory but there's other things that like are that i would draw a clear line between like i don't want to do that shit though that that shit sucks like we're not doing that anymore and so that's kind of what it was about for us so we basically said like well we're gonna make our albums our way uh exercise complete creative control over them own all of our rights and invest our money in things that we're gonna find fun and exciting like you know, traveling to different countries and recording with different people and, um, you know, investing in ourselves and rather than, you know, throwing it into the wind on like, you know, uh, foreign PR that does nothing in, yeah. in my opinion either. You, you know, you, it's literally like throwing, you're throwing money away. You're There's just... no accountability either. It's not like, well, they'll turn around and be like, well, we tried. We could, we could only get these two pieces. Thanks for the $20,000. Like it just, it, it's, it's, I've been vocal about this on this kind of press cycle, but I just, I really do think that like, there are so many things in the music industry that are just carnival games designed to take your money. And uh, I, I think our, our, pro, our prerogative is to participate in as few of them as we need to. Yeah. I I feel that way too. It's just like, there's a lot of just complete and utter nonsense. Just people just taking advantage of you or trying to take advantage of you from every corner of every room and every room you go into. And, yes. and it, it doesn't matter how small or big of a band you are. Like you'll be like a small, a smaller band who just plays in your city. And then, you know, you go into the next room where it's, I play now I play in all of this province or all of the state. And it's, there's still, there's just more people trying to take your money with, and it's, it's completely insane. If you're not fast enough, you'll lose all your money. You will. And the other thing about it, too, is, I mean, like when we first started the band, we were doing these like 
you know, pay to play battles of the bands and stuff where you got to go sell X amount of tickets to your friends and get them all out and like, you know, do all this stuff because there's going to be a panel of like universal music's going to be there and Warner music's going to be there and all this. And then you get there and they're like, Oh, they all had separate car accidents and none of them could be here. Anyways, thanks for the money. Um, and have a good 20 minute set up there. Um, and so we played in all this kind of stuff. There was a site too called Sonic bids. Yeah. Oh, uh, they you know, take your money so fast. And so I don't know if it still exists. If it still does fuck those people, they yeah, should be, fuck them. that shit should be illegal. Uh, it's like, it's if for, for those who don't know, and this, I'm going from memory here. Um, it's a website where you register and you pay for a membership and you pay to submit your band to play certain festivals. Yeah. CMW, paid, yeah. Indie Week, all that shit. Yeah. All that stuff. So we paid to do that stuff for like two years and we didn't get a single gig from it. And I imagine that like there's many, many bands that have the same story as we do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I definitely have a bone to pick with the whole pay to play side of this industry. But at the same time, I acknowledge it that it's, it's an omnipresent thing. That's probably always been here in some form or another and always will be here in some form or another. So it's just how it goes. I think that like, if you're a young band, unless you're really smart or if you, you have really good uh, advice, you're just gonna, you're gonna have to make some mistakes in that department specifically before you kind of get your act together. And really what it comes down to is like, you have to establish your own value so that you don't have to play with, play these stupid fucking games. Stupid, stupid games. It's been going on for a long time. I've been, pl- I've been playing live shows since uh, I think my first show was 95 and it was like Supernova gig at, at, at the Gasworks and same shit. I had to pay to play. So it's, it, they're, yeah, it, it, angers me and annoys me uh okay well i do you have new management now we do yes um a very good friend of ours actually started managing us his name is oliver mitchell you know ollie um uh but he works for unify and uh he's from brighton and uh, he actually lives just up the road from us now and we're we're really good friends and we have uh i mean he just he his vision of what we should do was extremely attractive to us because it basically just was everything we wanted to do just on steroids and, you know, definitely shares the same, if not more extreme views on the whole, you know, carnival game aspect awesome. of this whole thing. Yeah. And, awesome. Um, and, uh, you know, we just, we get along really well and he's extremely competent and we, we love, we're just, you know, we're, we're, we're music nerds together. We text each other about different thrash records that are coming out and all this stuff. So it, it doesn't really like, it, I don't want this to sound the same, the, the wrong way, but like, it doesn't really feel like we have, he doesn't, he, he feels less of a manager and more just like a member of the crew who we love and ex- whose opinion we ex- like who whose opinion we hold in extremely high regard um it's very different than our old management style which was kind of like let's swing for the fences because you know uh let's let's just let's be the biggest band in the world we're all painfully aware (laughs) that we're never going to be the biggest band in the world and we're more than happy with that fact lingering above our heads we just want to be happy and make the art that we want to make and play as many shows as we can before we die that's basically it and and be proud of like the body of work that we've made and be proud of the way that we present it and conduct our little rock and roll lives with dignity that's all we want to do i i think that's uh i i commend you that's perfect that's very punk rock of you i love it i love it to death yeah do what you want to fucking do Please yourself before you please anybody else. Because the number one fans in, in Dirty Nil are the, the three of you, four of you, five of you, however many, however many people are in the crew. 100%. I saw this great like James Hatfield quote earlier this morning where he was talking about how like how do they approach the pressure that they have every night of playing to like 60,000 people who's like, this is the biggest you know, thing that they've been looking forward to and they can't be let down. And James Hetfield had a great answer. And he was just like, listen, we're the biggest fans of Metallica in the world. We're Metallica. Like we love our band. And so we, we are here to satisfy ourselves as fans first of the band. And then, you know, our family, everyone around here, very close second, but we're the ones here. We're not, we're not doing this for you. We're doing it for ourselves. And then you guys second who, you know, we obviously love you, but that's, I think that's the most, 
the, the the best approach to have like we're huge nil fans right like we we love it we are we 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 keep every little scrap of paper and every set list and everything and we like we're we're firmly aware of our own kind of like of our you know to us like we grossly inflate the the mythology of our own band and like when Kyle and I started the band we signed a blood oath like we pricked our fingers and signed a blood contract together that's how that's that's how, like that I should tell you everything like we're we're nut bars that's like like 20 years from now that could be the album cover like it's called blood oath and that's the yeah con- that's the it's a contract in blood um I guess one last thing before uh we end this is the are you are you trying to drop the dirty part in nil? I feel like everywhere I look now, it's just nil. No, no, no. And I, I, I didn't realize how confusing that would be until we kind of started getting some questions about it. But essentially, we were basically looking. We tried to come up with like a logo and it didn't quite. It's it's very hard. Like I, I, we basically haven't been able to assemble our full name in a logo that has been satisfying i don't know if it's possible to do so you know when max came up with like the artwork for the for the album we just kind of get kept that going for a little while but um you know everybody just kind of knows this as the nil and we have like it's much easier to spray paint on your guitar cases but we are still the dirty nil okay but uh that's it's kind of the shorthand version yeah yeah cool okay just wanted to get that out of the way so everyone all of my tens of listeners now you guys know now you know don't throw up guys after all you're just three soft serve ice creams from dundas ontario hey i didn't say it luke did luke did not me thank you so much to the dirty nil they've been amazing to me this year Uh, i've done a lot of work for them and they've helped me out and i've helped them out it's a great relationship thank you luke as always for coming on to the podcast maybe we'll do it again maybe i'll get a different person from your band or maybe we can have the whole band on one time who knows it's a crazy wild world out there and i gotta say all the advice that he gives about 
paying to play for those bands that think, oh, how are we going to get shows? We need to pay for the play. He's absolutely right. Fuck, fuck all that shit. You don't need to pay to play. And if you have any questions about how to book shows or do any of that kind of shit, just hit me up. Just send me an email, michaelxcrusty at gmail.com, or hit me up on Instagram, michaelxcrusty, and uh, uh, ask questions. And I'll, I'll be glad to answer any questions. Absolutely. Okay, that's it. Thank you so much. See you next time. Joyride.